0: You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am really excited to be joined once again by Dr. Lauren Artress, the expert on labyrinths and much more. And she is here to discuss her new book, The Path of the Holy Fool, how the labyrinth ignites our visionary powers. Friends, this book spoke to me in many ways. It's one that I'm going to continue to go back to. I have sheets of notes and quotes and things to continue to mull over. And so I hope that it can be in some way that for you as well. Of course, in this conversation, we can only begin to touch the surface of some of the ideas that she digs into. But ultimately, through the story of the grail and the holy fool and the labyrinth and Earthrise, rise, she is inviting us to get to know God's invitation for our lives, to thrive, as who God made us to be to engage our imagination for our good, but ultimately the good of everyone to love God, to love others, to love ourselves. And so I hope that this conversation is a stepping off point for you. The link to the book is in the show notes. Highly recommend you go check it out there. But as always, friends, thank you for being with us today. I pray that this conversation blesses you, challenges you and encourages you. Lauren, welcome back to the Rua Space podcast. It's, it's an honor to have you back and see you again. Thank you. It's great to be here. So in our previous conversation, we really dug into the labyrinth and you are kind of the expert or one of the experts into the labyrinth. And so if people haven't listened to that episode, I do recommend go ahead and check that one out. But you have this new book that just came out, The Path of the Holy Fool and how the labyrinth ignites our visionary powers. And for a lot of people, there might be a lot of terms there that they're not familiar with. But And I didn't know what to expect getting into this book, but... You did some really amazing things here around the imagination, the Holy Fool, Earthrise. And so I think we're going to have to define some terms. But if you can just kick us off, tell us about why the Holy Fool? Who is the Holy Fool? And
1: why is this the path that we're being invited to? Okay, it's um, interesting because the title actually popped into my head, and I thought, oh, you couldn't name the book this way. You can't, no, no. And then (laughs) it won, the the title beat me down. Uh, The Holy Fool is in many different spiritual traditions, Um, that's rooted in the Sufi tradition. Uh, Of course, uh, Jesus was considered a Holy Fool, Saint Francis. Uh, And also that we have a lot of holy fools in our culture and what it means is people willing to take risks, uh, people willing and and in in the tarot, you know, there's a holy fool card, it's the zero card, and it's in every deck because it's an archetypal figure, Uh, and the figure is always um, stepping off a cliff and seemingly not knowing it. (laughs) You know, you kind of stepped off a cliff to move to Florida. Uh, I sort of stepped off a cliff by uh, initiating uh, the labyrinth in the days when no one knew what they were. And so uh, the Holy Fool is an energy that we need. It's an archetype that we need uh, because everyone uh, is, you know, hanging out around safety. uh, Personal safety, yes, but also afraid to take risks in our creative life, in our imaginative life, in our relationship lives. lives. So uh, that's why the Holy Fool needs to be brought forward.
0: You know, there's one story you told, and I'm going to tell it from a pop culture reference most people will probably recognize. You may know where I'm going with this, but perhaps Indiana Jones was a holy fool, (laughs) (laughs) you know, searching after the grail. And there's this famous scene that everybody remembers where there's a big chasm, right? And he has to step out onto this invisible bridge. And with each step, that bridge starts to sort of form. And that's an image that stuck with me from this Grail story, the the holy fool story that you tell sort of throughout the narrative, but just this this faith journey of taking the next step mm-hmm. and sort of having to do it with trust that
1: just that's sticks right. out to me. Yeah, that's right, and that's a major part of, of the Grail legend. And of course, I use the Grail legend. I'm not a scholar in the Grail legend, and believe me, there are a lot of scholars, uh, highly respected, uh, Maria von Franz, for instance. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the story really spoke to me. And, it, you know, early on and, and, and of course you have to, you know, acknowledge Monty Python here, yeah. uh, you know, making a total, total mess of it, uh, but humorous for sure. Uh, but that's oh, yeah. a major part where uh, Parsifal, you know, the kind of holy fool, he's pure hearted. He, he doesn't have a lot of defenses that say, no, 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 I'm right. I'm right. And you're wrong. And all of that kind of stuff. And um, so he, he has to encourage his horse on when there's no path. Hmm. And here they are with a lake about 30 feet below a cliff and a sharp cliff up on their right. And there's no path and you just have to take the risk, trust. And uh, so in that part of the story, it is kind of clip, clop, clip, clop. And you just trust that the path is gonna appear. And that's uh, a very familiar place for people taking risks and, and, you know, moving to new places, for instance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and in the, in the story, it ends up leading him to the, the thin place, right? The invisible that becomes sort of visible or at least engageable. And you sort of take us a lot into the imagination. And so we're, you tie a lot of threads together really well. But ultimately, when he's able to take this, these, these trust steps, these faith steps out, and the, the, the path sort of continues to appear before him, he ends up mm-hmm. in a space that other people don't reach. And I know you tie that into the imagination and such. So sort of take us into this in-between space here, because
1: for us, for, or in the story, it's the, the grail castle, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And the grail castle um, is a thin place, um, but, and it's invisible, and you have to be in a state of mind where you allow it to become visible. And I think it's a great uh, metaphor for the way our imagination works that we really need to be soft-eyed and gentle and trusting and boom, there's something brand new that presents itself. And see, I think it's important too, Phil, uh, that the grail is something that we can all touch and reach. And for me, it happens to be the labyrinth, uh, but for others, it may be yoga, uh, you know? It may be that just that's clear. For others, it may be, you know, Olympic, being an Olympic runner, uh, but it's the Grail is something that begins to teach us and we learn about ourselves as we trust the past
0: and of course all of these then are metaphors and archetypes and and people right now might be like okay but what does this holy fool have to do with me what does the Grail have to do with me what is what is what is what are people really being invited to here and I think what, what you explore throughout the book is the idea that archetypes sort of, exist in the collective unconscious. There are these stories that we can
1: all sort of find ourselves in, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. We can all have access to it. And, and I think what we're invited to do is find our grail, Uh, become a holy fool to find the grail. And it's in the invisible world often. It's not just sitting there right in front of us. Although who knows, it's different for each person.
0: But that might scare some people, right? Because when we start talking about the invisible, we're talking about the imagination. And I can hear it today. This is going to be a quote that sticks with me forever. You tell the story about Joan of Arc's trial. And before the tribunal, they say, you say God speaks to you, but it's only your imagination. And Joan, Joan's reply is, how else would God speak to me but through my imagination? So, why does the imagination play such a central role for us and for the Holy Fool? And what, what does it mean to sort of get
1: back to our imagination? Right, well, the imagination is such a, a in one way, it's an underutilized resource, a human faculty that we have abused, misused, and in fact, that's what we're doing now. You know, we're, we're feeding the collective imagination, at least in the United States, with lots of conspiracy theories and none of it's grounded. Uh, and that's the piece that we need to learn. The imagination needs to be grounded in the body. And then it becomes an effective tool. But if we're massaging uh, all of these kind of, you know, grievances, wrongs the world is a terrible place um and you know someone's out to cheat us at every moment uh, then then you know that's what you're going to get because the imagination becomes a reflective tool you you manifest what you're imagining and so uh, just for people to become uh, conscious of how each person, how you use your imagination, how I use my imagination. That's a really important part of, let's put it this way, spiritual adulthood. So what does that look like on a practical
0: level for someone to say that, to connect deeper with God? And and we'll get to this toward the end of the conversation, that really all of this, the whole book, The Holy Fool, the stepping out in faith, the imagination invites us into greater justice. And so we'll get to that point, but For someone who says, okay, what does it mean for God to speak to you in your imagination? For a person who maybe hasn't engaged their imagination other than watching a Marvel movie where, you know, where we have to suspend reality to enter into it, what do you mean when we're saying let's engage the imagination as a means to hearing from God and stepping into the invitation of who God made us to be?
1: Well, um you know, I mean, it is like, like Joan Joan of Arc was saying, you know, it's a, it's a a imaginal process, um, but we have to nurture the healthy uh, process. And that's where spiritual practices come in. uh, Because then if you can ground the, uh, the imagination in the body, like we've mentioned, and that's what practices do, then it becomes just a really practical uh, understanding that Uh, And that you need to be conscious about how, what's going through your imagination, for instance. Um, See, this is, and I I cover this in the book because wounding is a big uh, issue and not only the grail stories, but also in our culture right now. And uh, wounding uh, and trauma often takes you out of your body and disconnects you from your body. And that's, you know, the clinical word is disassociation. Um, but, and that's what we're doing. We're disassociating from the horrors that are happening in the world and staying just within our own little kind of, it's not even a grail castle. It's our own skulls, really. Um, if you're uh, as therapist, like I am, you are often working with trauma in people and the labyrinth is such a wonderful tool in that way, because it integrates uh, body, mind, and spirit. I mean, when you're walking it, you're doing the, physical activity of walking it and then um you your consciousness is invited back into your body instead of disassociating and so i think that's one of the spiritual tasks we need to do phil is just really uh let people connect uh their imaginations with their own interior process um, and i think there's a playfulness
0: then that comes with that oh, right? Yeah. because instead of Instead of prayer and meditation and spiritual practices all being about, okay, I say these certain words, I do these exact things, it, it, you know, sometimes we make it too much of a math formula, right? And I think that that sometimes gives people um, a sense of peace because, well, uh, that means I can't do it wrong, right? You're safe within the bounds of the math. But the imag- but, but also then I feel like when you're safe within those bounds, you've also capped potentially, how much you can experience. But when we bring the imagination and do it a playfulness, I think it's almost like it, it,
1: taking something black and white and inviting yes. in color. Yes, right? I would definitely agree with that. Right. And, uh, you know, don't forget, especially in our churches and in the Western world, we really come from the monastic model uh, that was started in the Middle Ages. And, and of course, uh, uh, monasteries were very important. They were the really the backbone of, of Europe in terms of helping people, there were hospitals, they were, they were places where people could stay um, and, uh, and also gave people uh, the whole tradition, religious traditions of ritual and all. But um, this is much broader, I, I think To, And I think it's important that nowadays we really begin to realize that practices are very broad. You, could, you can love gardening and that can be your practice. Uh, you can love knitting, and that can be your practice. Uh, cooking, uh, walking labyrinths—you uh, you know, anything like that. Doing beadwork—I mean, you know, a lot of people now are are really kind of developing rosaries, but in a, in their own unique way. There's an Episcopal rosary, for instance, um, beads, and so which is very popular in in the Eastern traditions. And so, so very broadly, but yes, also it is. Fun, go out, that's the holy fool. Go out and find what it is that calms you, that brings you into a place where you time flies by, you know, just wow, where'd that last hour go? It could be painting, it could be doing watercolor, whatever it is, working with clay, something that allows you to, in a way, fill pause, but also have and nurture your reflections, um, thinking, your reflective mind.
0: And that means that God, I think that opens us up to hear from God in more ways, right? Yes. More than just a Bible verse, which absolutely can speak to us, right? We, sure. we at Rua Space have lots of practices that center on on the Bible, but there you have some really great stories in the book of ways God spoke to people in other creative ways that maybe they wouldn't have imagined. Can you, do you mind sharing about you guys dropping the pedals during oh, yeah. the labyrinth walk and what happened for one woman? I think when we when we talk about imagination, th- this is the picture that comes to mind for me.
1: Yes, uh, yeah, that was really such an elegant, lovely uh, evening. Well, here we are at Grace Cathedral. So I ask your listeners to kind of imagine being in a, a Gothic cathedral. And um, most people have, so have some memory bank and imaginative bank to draw on. And we're working actually with the tapestry labyrinth, which was the middle stage of us getting a permanent labyrinth in Grace Cathedral. And one evening uh, we were working there with a group of people that came from around the United States, certainly that, maybe the, maybe other countries, and we wanted to capture the feeling of a moment in time. And that's actually what the name of the whole pilgrimage weekend was, a moment in time, meetings and greetings on the spiritual path. Partly because we were having the rector of Shark Cathedral uh, be in attendance with us uh, and lead, lead the event. So a moment in time, we said, well, how in the world are we gonna get a moment in time? What are we gonna do, what are we gonna do? And then um, we decided to drop oh gosh, it must've been a couple thousand uh, pink rose petals from the catwalk. Now, anyone who knows a Gothic cathedral, you have a catwalk. So up (laughs) in the ceiling, you have a walk that goes from one end to the other. Uh, and it's not very wide, you know, it's only about three feet wide and does have, thank you, <laughs> thank heavens, side <laughs> rails on it. Yeah. And so um, the staff of Veritas went up and I made sure to get everyone into the labyrinth as much as possible. And then at a certain time, I kind of did some kind of signal. I don't remember what it was, but just kind of welcomed people to our, our, the, the folks on Veritas staff to drop these rose petals. And it was just like snowflakes. Here they are, whirling and whirling and coming down and coming down. And people began to realize this and then stopped. Everyone stopped because these rose petals were landing on people's heads and on people's shoulders and in front of people. And also I thought it was really interesting because the musicians, this wonderful group, Musica Divina that played uh, with us all all the the times we were doing these kinds of events, they didn't, I didn't tell anybody this was going to happen because it's a moment in time, right? You know, you don't want to, you want to just total a pure moment in time. And so the musicians were as surprised as everyone else and the music stopped too. And then they began to do a swirling sound, both vocally and with their instruments. And it was so, it was just lovely to see. And I, I did, okay, Lauren, you know, big scope here, open the lens, see what happens. And people were just delighted with it and, and catching the rose petals and, and and all. And it was about, I don't know, took two minutes, maybe three minutes to have them all land. And then there was a collective chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> people chuckled and then began the walk again. And um, it was just really lovely. Uh, Really lovely. And you asked about the woman, uh, you know, um, everyone had their own reactions. Of course, we always do, whether we know it or not. Um, But there was one woman that was standing kind of on the edge of the labyrinth with a rose petal in her hand. And I was kind of gently seeing what was happening there think she was crying quietly um, and, but not moving, but not doing anything. So after a while, you know, my method of facilitating and being present with people is to go up and kind of gently, very gently inquire, inquire. And, um, it, you know, she looked up at me and I believe the only thing she said was, one year ago today, I had a rose petal in my hand at my husband's funeral
0: Mm.
1: and it's been an amazing year. And here I am one year later with a rose petal in my hand Mm. and it freed her. It just was a a completion uh, of a year of grief, of loss, of, of new life, trying to find your way. And then boom, here she is looking at another rose petal.
0: I think that's so beautiful. And it, it reminds me of the fact that we are embodied people, right? And that's why the labyrinth can be so helpful—a space to bring our spirit, our mind, our body, our imagination, all of it, kind of together. And it, a flower petal, meaning you know, this tangible thing that helped heal so much going on—that's Im- imaginative to me because there's nothing in the petal itself that magically did the healing, right? But it was this connective piece for this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think about like Jesus' teachings, oh, look at the birds of the air, how they don't store food in barns. And then he makes a point about our life from it, right? Mm-hmm. A, a thing of the world. And, and that to me is also a little bit of imaginative thinking. He's bringing connections in. You know, I when I was walking a labyrinth most recently, um, I, was, I was seeing the turns as major... Uh, turning points in my life. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a pretty common experience. So <laughs> just sort of walking through middle school and turning to high school and to college and marriage and Africa and, you know, being in a pastor and then that time ending. And some of them were short, some of them were long, but I almost feel at that moment, and and maybe I'm, maybe I'm injecting things back on it, but I had images going mm-hmm. through my mind of those times. I had um, you know, maybe smells or feelings or other things that came up. And it sort of, it, it invited me in that moment to connect to God, to myself, to others.
1: And I think that's the purpose of these disciplines, right? That's to bring in the imagination. That's right. That's right. And see, um, with the enlightenment, when we came through that, uh, what one of the, th- we've gained many things, but one of the things we lost was respect for and ways to use the imagination. And what you're describing is indeed very much that way. And uh, that here you are, you're walking the labyrinth at each turn, you're re- reflecting on the terms in your uh, turns in your life. Um, but also the imagination isn't disconnected from sounds and smells and images. Of course, images uh, is a major way the imagination speaks to us. Um, but it all comes together. And so we're not trying to, you know, like scientists move the imagination over here to study it. No, where the imagination is is functioning 24 seven. Our task is to become aware of it and how it's working. So now that's a great story, Phil. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate throughout the book, how you talk
0: about different ways we can cultivate or our imagination can be broken. So I, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, the garbage in garbage out philosophy, right? That when we fill our imaginations with violence and fear and anger and, um, you know, the feelings of scarcity and us versus them, we sort of fuel that being in there. But when we can put in more beautiful images or, or other types of things, then we sort of cultivate our imaginations to see
1: things in different ways. Right, right. And, and that, that I think is one of the major uh, challenges for our culture today that we're, you know, sit down and watch, just take a notepad and sit down and watch. The whatever, how many ads go by uh, on TV at night and how many diseases you're supposed to have within that 10 minutes and how many (laughs) medications you need to do, you know, Mm. to take care of it. I mean, that's just one small example, but people don't realize that we're creating an inner garden inside and that inner garden, it can look really, really sparse and parched and negative um, or it can be flourishing with beautiful flowers, rose petals, for instance.
0: <laughs> that's, why, that's why we, we have a, se- you know, and this isn't our saying, but we repeat frequently that there are no neutral stories. Uh-huh. That everything we engage from advertisements to social media, video games, books, movies, conversations, it's all narrative. And it is all shaping us in one direction or another. And I think the concern, and, and I think you rightly voice this, is that as a world right now, we're on the precipice of ecological disaster. We have a myriad of social justice and systemic injustice issues. And a lot of it comes back to our collective imagination, does it not? And then That's therefore, not. our individual imaginations.
1: Yes, it does, right. And the the Holy Fool is someone who's able to kind of take that seriously and nurture what we want to nurture in the world. And if we want to nurture beauty, then bring in beauty in every way you can. And and I think that's just so important because we're so steeping ourselves in all that you've named, destruction and, you know, all sorts of uh, social issues that we have no answers for. Uh, and we have to find that um, invisible path and go clip-clop along it until we get some answers.
0: Well, and that's the path, of the, that's the Holy fool path, right? He keeps going and he keeps stepping out. But it begins to tie together, you know, we 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 are invited as individuals to begin to pay attention to what am I putting in and tending inside of myself and therefore what's what's coming out, right? And so spiritual practices, the labyrinth, these different containers, these different spaces can help us sort of cultivate that. And ultimately one of the things that you get at through the book is that we're trying to get to sort of the here's a lot of different ways you describe it the innate image, the divine spark, the soul's code, or as Alice Howell describes it, the imprisoned splendor of creation. I love this. This don't, I think, do you also say our sealed orders? Yes. Is that yeah, your word? That's, just, that's our, your word, right? Yeah. Can you explain that? What are our sealed orders? And then, and then I think we're going to take that from our individual sealed orders to. How does that relate to the web of all of
1: us? Yes, uh, right. Well, uh, sealed orders, it comes from a quote from um, Soren Kierkegaard originally, although it sounds mighty clear for his philosophical mind. But he said, every human being comes to earth with sealed orders. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, wow, sealed orders. Okay. And it's, you know, it's sort of like if you picture them as an envelope, in a white envelope, business envelope, you know, some people actually have the envelope in their hands. Some people actually have opened it and realized that the directions are in hieroglyphics. You know, you, you got to figure it out. It's not something direct. But, uh, but I, I have felt that. And I think people walking a spiritual path um, feel that, you know, there's, there's something here on earth we're supposed to do. Um, and it's something we need to find. It's something, oh, the kind of phrase we're using now is you need to find what it is yours to do. And how do we be of service in the world? What do we step forward for? And uh, that's what a sealed order is. And so for me, the labyrinth has been sealed orders for sure. Uh, Very circuitous path to it. It is a circuitous path. And um, I think that people, most people uh, on a spiritual path have that feeling. I'm here to do something and I don't know what it is, so I need to discover what it is.
0: And I think that is such an important question for our day because there are millions of voices trying to tell you what your sealed orders should be, right? right? (laughs) But it's almost always in service of them, not not in service of maybe who who you truly are. And I mean, I think those are you know the negative images we're talking about, that we're just created to to buy more, to have more, to look a certain way, to to get a certain person or group into power, um, or that we're created for fear, that we're created to protect ourselves over and against the others. And I think when we enter into the imaginative listening space, when we can sort of cut some of that out, we begin to see that there's something truly good that we're being invited to. And I, and I, and I stay away from, I even stay away from like God's will, because I think that that gets tangled. I prefer to say God's invitation. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, God's invitation is much, much better because will implies force and it implies you're supposed to be doing something. Yeah, yeah. And also I love Hildegard's point on this is that, you know, it does not have to be unique. See, I think people get caught up in that. You know, oh, it's one of a kind and I got to do something really unique. No, but she does say it does need to be original, Mm, which means it comes through you and who you truly are. And that is what originality is. So you might be, and then that's why people write books on the same topic is because it's going to come through you in a unique way if you've truly made it yours. And I, and I
0: also think that that invitation that God has, because we got, like you said, it may be similar to others, but we're all created uniquely as ourselves. We have a unique story, our woundedness, the mistakes we've made, the mistakes others have made toward us, our giftings, our limits even, the things we can't do. It's good to own those as well. But I also think that it's always then going to connect to some sort of service to the community, yeah. would it not? In
1: some way, it's going to be a blessing yeah. to all. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and and I think that's also the hope of, is that you are um, bringing forth what's original in you. And then you can encourage other people to do that as well. Because uh, once you've been given, I think this is really what true freedom is. It's not freedom to you know, not wear a mask. It's, it's freedom to truly be yourself and express your creative um, calling if, it's, if it expresses itself that way. Uh, express it in kindness, whatever way it comes through you. Uh, and that benefits the community. It benefits the community enormously. And then also you can help others find theirs. And so I think you, this is why it's so important working with youth. Uh, And to never say some derogatory, oh, you're not very good at this or whatever, you know, you can't draw or you can't sing or you, anybody who's doing that um, to someone else, uh, you know, is taking away uh, their innate innate sense of, of purpose and originality. Yeah, well, and I like
0: your your, you know, we we can't go into everything in this conversation. So I highly recommend then people go check out the book because you obviously go into woundedness and how we shape our imagination and the grail story and the holy fool and the relationship with the labyrinth, imagination, all that much deeper. But another common thread that comes up is this Earthrise idea, right? From the famous picture from outer space of the Earth rising up. And sort of this question of, is our Earth going to rise up in beauty in a way that's sustainable for all um, on the ecology level, on the environmental level? but. Also, injustice and in and in loving community where there's equality and uh, these questions that you that are that are asked are what ails thee, right? Mm-hmm. And how how can I help? And I think those are two really great great questions to bring to a labyrinth, right? To bring mm-hmm. to a meditation or prayer session. What do, what do I struggle with? What does the world struggle with? And how am I created
1: to engage that with love? right? That's right. right. That's right. And uh, and those are the questions of the grail story. And they're really important. The the other piece is um, that we're really right now without vision. We really don't know where we're going. And now we're listening and watching our billionaires go up in a spaceship to eventually be able to, you know, have have passengers, 250 thousand dollars a pop and um you know what's the vision where are we going so I think earthrise vision is extraordinarily important and it's you know it's scriptural you know if we don't have a vision we're going to perish and so that's the other effort of the book is to really help people begin to imagine what it would be like if we didn't have climate change hanging over our heads if we didn't have a virus that's among us and we can't take care of ourselves cuz you know the human race is, thinks it's really smart but sometimes it's really dumb <laughs> you know so yeah. earthrise earthrise from that photograph which is shared around the world that probably uh, most of the you know millions of people that are on the earth have seen it and so the principles behind it are social and, and ecological, uh, ec- well, certainly ecological awareness, but social uh, justice, um, uh, financial justice, all of that, uh, social and, and um, participatory spirit, community, community. Communities come together. Um, but then if they come together, the question, where are we going? Let's, let's bring in to our imagination, something positive, which would be Earthrise.
0: Yeah, and I think without our imaginations, we can't make those connections without, and because, and again, when we say imagination, it's not this fantasy land, but it's this deeper place of who we are, right? It's a deeper um, intuition and knowing, and oh, and I do want to mention, by the way, the poet Amanda Gorman has a really beautiful poem called Earthrise, and so I highly recommend, you know, I'll link it in the show notes below, highly recommend people go check it out, because she's saying these things that that we're talking about here. So, all of this is working on an individual and a communal level. And so as we sort of come to the end of our conversation, because I could talk to you forever, but I don't want to take all your time, where, where would where would you sort of encourage someone to start on this journey of being a holy fool, discovering their sealed orders,
1: entering into service of the community? Where do we start? Sure, uh, well, let me bring in the third question. You know, there's three Grail questions. And um, the last one is by far the most mysterious. And that is, mm-hmm. whom does the Grail serve? You know, and over the, over the centuries, uh, because the story started in the 1100s, it was uh, actually a collection of oral traditions first. Um, but over the centuries, it's whom does the Grail serve um, has sort of come to um, whom do I serve? which is an important question. Whom, whom do I serve? But yeah. the answer to that is, whom, who does the grail serve? Is this, the grail serves the servers of the grail. <laughs> the grail serves the servers of the grail. So if you're like Parsifal, and hopefully those of us on spiritual journeys and trying to make the world a better place, that we are pure-hearted, we are open to learning. Because uh, especially now with COVID, there's been no maps, there's no, there's no manuals about how do you go through a pandemic, um, and that sense of where to begin, I would say, I would say, uh, begin to observe your imagination. Um, in other words, you know, you sit down and think about, wow, what if oh, just a fantasy just went through my mind. Wow. You know, of my, my cousin finally visiting that I haven't seen for two years. You know, something that, you know, see what you're imagining and then um, begin to um, realize that that's a 24-7 process and begin to realize, okay, what beauty do I want in my life? Well, what people do I want to bring into my life? How can I nurture, you know, like the Dalai Lama says, his religion is kindness. Well, maybe we make that kind of decision too. And how do I nurture kindness? And how do I give kindness? You, you see, it's along those lines. Um, also reading uh, a good, good books, uh, you know, fiction as well as nonfiction. Um, with the imagination comes abundance. And that's another theme in the grail story is that once the grail king is healed, abundance happens. And Mm -hmm. I thought it was so perfect. It had to be, it had to be published while we had this very difficult former president in, in charge because he's deeply wounded. And if the grail king, you know, is healed, then the land becomes bountiful again. And, and so that's the metaphor of abundance and with abundance, the imagination Um, is very happy (laughs) and beautiful abundance, not abundance of of violence or guns or, but that we can nurture one another. And I, I think the realization of how the imagination works would be a beginning.
0: I think that's a great place to start. And I think uh, doing it with community can help, with discernment, with the spirit can help. Um, Lots of tools out there and lots of space holders to um, engage that. And then I would like to ask you, as I ask pretty much every guest, what would be a final challenge or encouragement that you would leave people with? What was the word? A a challenge or
1: what's Or an An encouragement. Encouragement, sure. Um, Well keep moving forward and trust the path trust the path and if you're in that position of waiting uh, that's a painful position to be in but just trust that you're in a process and trust the path so follow your guts if it says go do this whatever that is pick up this book or uh, speak to this person that i don't know or whatever it is uh, trust your gut and do it and see where it leads Amen. And then
0: where can people go deeper with the work that you are doing? I will put a link to the book in the uh, show notes, but where else can people find you and go deeper with everything? Sure. you're up Yeah, to? the
1: book is on Amazon. It's in Audible as well as an ebook uh, too. Uh, so you can uh, have that in whatever way uh, to read it. Um, also, you know, vertitas.org. Virtitas, uh, so maybe I should spell that or will you have that in the notes, Bill?
0: Yeah, I'll put that in the notes along with a link as well.
1: Because we're teaching, we're training, we're training people about how to present labyrinths to their communities. And uh, lots is going on. We're not returning to Chartres, France until June of 2022, uh, but we'll be there again. So I encourage people to go on the website and put in their uh, email, and then we can keep uh, in contact with folks with a month-to-month email. Sounds great.
0: Well, Lauren, thank you for writing this book and taking the time to talk to us. It was a blessing as always. Thank you very much. Thank you,
1: Phil. Thanks so much.
0: Blessings on the path. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to say thank you for joining us once again for this conversation with Dr. Lauren Artress. Go check out the links below to go further with everything that she is up to. And then, friends, I would also highly recommend to go check out the link to Patreon that is below. This is a place where we at Rua Space go even deeper with different guided practices, Bible studies, exclusive content, sermons, short talks, and more. So if you're looking to help support this ministry for just a few dollars a month and gain access to some really cool extra resources. Go check that out. And as always, friends, thank you once again. Until next time, grace and peace be with you.